Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. The most overlooked part of entrepreneurship is often the mental side. Entrepreneurs are hard-charging. They're driven. They know what they want. They get after it. But it can lead to burnout. It can lead to stress. It can lead to overwhelm. How do we, how do we think about that? How do we combat that? How do we become high achievers, but also highly efficient, highly stable, and highly happy? This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. We want to learn a lot today about the mental aspect, what we can do, what others can do to help us on the mental side. Because if we get that right, think how much the business can flourish, even from a high starting point. My guest today works with a lot of high achieving business owners who are still striving for more and helps them get there. Tina Greenbaum, thanks for joining. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Adam. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're very welcome. And I'm, I'm interested to have this conversation because it's a different side of entrepreneurship, right? We talk about, and on this show, we've talked about marketing and tactics and strategies and all of these things. And we can talk about mindset, but mental health is a lot more than mindset, right? That's today's buzzword, but exactly. it's so much more. How do you look at those two words and, and on benefit, for benefit of your clients? Well, mindset is, is again, it, it's a buzzword now, as is mindfulness and meditation and things that I've been working on for so many years that are now just sort of like uh, I'm, I'm in all of a sudden. And so the way that I look at it is good mental health, I always say, is not a natural sport. It's a learned sport. And if you were an Olympic level athlete, you would no sooner go out there to compete without training the mental side. And yet we put people into high pressured, high stakes environments, which being an entrepreneur, you couldn't get much higher than that without any training. And so this requires training, just like everything that, that we do. And when you go into your own business and just to, I know we'll get to this at some point, but I haven't worked for anybody in 37 years. <laughs> <laughs> so I wear that as a badge of honor and um, speaking from a place of experience, I've started over six different times in different locations. So. I, I know how to start over really well. <laughs> and so I know what it requires to have that level of really persistence, resilience, but having the tools, it's like a toolbox, truly, truly a toolbox. It's interesting that you say um, that, that it's learned and that, that, it, that it's practiced. And I know we'll get to it and, and, and relate it to tennis in, in, in some ways. Many people think of mental health as whether it's a disease or whether it's lifelong or whether you need to be under a doctor's or psychologist's care in, in order to, to, to do it. And we all think, and I'll put myself in this basket until really two months ago when you and I started talking, is that's not me. I don't need it. I'm just stressed out. That's right. Talk a little bit about that aspect of it. So, you know, it's very interesting because I am a psychotherapist by training and people ask me all the time, a lot of time, and then I, you know, in my marketing, I have to be very careful because people go exactly where you just went, you know, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. Well, what I think about myself really is I'm really a teacher. 
I'm a guide. And I coach people in good mental health skills. So, so what, what am I talking about when I use these skills, right? So what I teach in my program, this Mastery Under Pressure, I teach focus, relaxation, how to deal with negative self-talk, how to visualize and dealing with fear. So if you're walking and breathing, these are skills that we all need to learn to live with and to manage and to become better at. So in my marketing, I sort of flipped it around into, and I truly believe this. 99% of the people that I work with and have worked with over all these years are people like us, okay? High achievers, really you know, persistent, want to do well. And yet there are holes, just like in business, when you look at a business, there are holes in the business. You're, you're a business strategist and coach. So you can look at somebody's business and you can say, oh, you know, your branding and eh, your marketing. Eh. Well, I can look at and listen to somebody and I can hear the way that they speak. And I already know whether in fact they've done any personal growth training. And so when I think of good mental health, I think of personal growth training. And how do we get to know ourselves at a, such a deep level that we can become our own guide? And a lot of people that, that, that you've worked with are high achievers, people in finance that you've worked with. Maybe in a, in a dark room by themselves, they'll admit that. But mm -hmm. outwardly, a lot of people aren't going to want to admit that they have some of these challenges. And, and there are probably listeners today that maybe say, oh, I could probably use some, some help. I mean, I'm a, I'm a believer that we all need help, whether it's business or mental. Mm -hmm. uh, those of us which choose to, uh, to act on it is a whole different story. Exactly. But with some of these, these high achievers, they have to self-select to, to admit that they want to work with you. But how can they think about it when they haven't sort of hit rock bottom? Like they, they, they don't need to drink a bottle of scotch at the end of every stressful day. You know, it's really, no. interesting. It's really interesting, Adam. I have a quiz for the, the five topics that I just mentioned. You know, it's called masteringunderpressure.net. People can go there and we can talk about it. But the, one of the questions I have after you rate yourself on a scale of zero to 10, how do I see myself in being able to focus? And I ask very specific questions that are non-judgmental. They're really like, does it work or doesn't it work? Are you able to relax yourself in an instant or are you not? You know, uh, again, so I go down the scale and then at the bottom I ask three questions. And one of the questions is, how satisfied are you with your life, your, your current level of achievement? People who have really high scores and they answer that question and they're high achievers, they'll give themselves a very low score. I'm not really producing and performing at the level that I want. I was thinking that as you were saying it, I was like, I would, I, I, am I happy in life? Yes, I love my wife, I love what I do. I have great success with my clients, but by and large, I beat myself up more than I praise myself. There you go. Okay. And so you're a perfect example because that's the most natural thing that we do. Adam, again, without, without training, we, the mind gives us an infinite number. I know if somebody, I've heard the number at some, how many millions of thoughts that come into our mind every single day. 
they just sort of rise out of our consciousness. You know, in, in yoga, they have a name for it that they call samskaras. They're just, man, oh, did you see that? And I can't believe you didn't do that. And that was such a stupid thing. And just on and on and on. The brain is wired for danger. That's the way that we have been designed. And we have a system in the brain that's the alert system. And, ah, you know, flashes, flashes, flashes light. And that's how we get triggered by some innocuous statement that somebody might make that if they made it to me, eh, but if they made it to you, if it has some history with you, and it's even unexamined, examine it, your, your body's gonna get triggered before your mind gets triggered. That's the way we operate. That's the way the nervous system operates. And so we have a level of tolerance for stress. It's called the window of tolerance. I always call it a buffer now, you know, you know, we have a lot of names for things that I've cut down my, uh, through my nose uh, and as I keep taking courses and, and that's called the window of tolerance. So let's say this is my window. And for those of us that are listening, maybe my hands are four inches apart, parallel to each other, they're four inches apart. So here comes stress. I hit this window of tolerance. I'm good. You know, I can manage it. My nervous system, I can think clearly. Well, if it, it hits beyond that level of tolerance, the nervous system is gonna kick in. And then we start to feel anxious and then the heart begins to race or the hands get clammy. Or really what happens for most of us is we can't think clearly. The mind just goes offline. I gotta take a break. I gotta, you know, I'm getting overwhelmed. I'm feeling stressed. I'm... So the, my training is really about increasing that window of tolerance through a mind and a body experience because we want to learn how to calm down the body so the mind can be clear if the body is anxious and the nervous system is is activated the mind is not clear so yeah so we want to build this window of tolerance so a problem comes and it's like eh, it's a problem it's a problem it, you gave a great example when we talked earlier about people who are afraid of dogs mm -hmm. Can you give that, that example to, to the audience? Yeah. Because it, it really, for me, it really crystallized. And I'm not afraid of dogs, but I totally got it when you gave this example as okay. to what's going on. So let's imagine that I am afraid of dogs, right? And I see in my peripheral vision, there's a dog. My body will go into that stress response. And then nanoseconds later, my mind will say, dog and so we try to solve problems mostly particularly in our western culture through our mental side our thinking side well my body's already taken over <laughs> right <laughs> i'm not thinking i'm already like ready to run or ready to figure out the next step or what am i doing so we have to really appreciate how we're designed so that we have the right tool to deal with the right problem. And so it doesn't ever indicate that there's something wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with me that I'm afraid of dogs. I just am. I had an experience, I was bitten when I was younger and, and okay, so now if I wanna get over it, that's another piece. But to kick myself and beat myself up because my body goes, no, I'm afraid of dogs, right? So my whole career has really been about how do I help somebody at a fundamental level, experience themselves differently. 
so that when they see dogs, their body might not respond. Maybe. And if it does, then they could, then they know about they have, how better to react. That, that's right. Then they have a, a, a response that they are able to utilize. Okay, so the best thing for me I've learned when I see dogs is I just kind of calm myself down because I know that dogs can pick up nervous energy. I can take a deep breath, you know, and ground myself and then just quietly walk away. And it, it, it's so important because in, in business, there are things that trigger us every day. Every day. Right? The phone rings and you see who it is. And it's a client that is, is a complainer that takes a lot of time. That, or you, better yet, um, because we all should be working with people that we actually like. But better yet, you are late on delivery of your item. Mm -hmm. Right? You promised them something and you didn't get it to them. And now the phone's ringing. Like mm -hmm. there's sometimes a visceral reaction to, to seeing that. And we all have it every day. And I think this is such a great topic for entre entrepreneurs to know exists and begin to become okay with. Yes. And now if we think back to you, you've done this not only for clients over and over and over, but for yourself over and over and over. And you, you had your schooling and we'll get a little bit to the journey now, right? You had your schooling and you learned a lot of this at, at a start. And then you decided, all right, I don't want to work at my clinic. I don't want to punch a, a clock. I'm going to hang out my own shingle. Correct. How, why did you make that choice? Mm -hmm. And what was that first experience like when, all right, shingle up. <laughs> so more open. <laughs> <laughs> so in order to get my license to be able to work by myself, not under the guidance of another clinician, I had to put in, um, I think it was 1800 hours of supervised work. And so when I was being supervised, I was working in a hospital, women for eating, working with women with eating disorders. My supervisor had no clinical, no clinical experience, plus the fact that nobody had ever been trained in eating disorders before. And so this was 37 years ago. They gave us a manual, said alcoholism, crossed it out, put eating disordered. <laughs> okay, you young new therapist, you know, here we go. And so we had rules that we were supposed to give these lectures. And the lectures were just like, you know, it didn't take a rocket scientist to know that this was so ineffective. And I used to say, and again, I was just starting out, but I used to say to the young women, I said, I hear you, but I don't feel you. Now, if I don't feel you, you're not going to change. And so I needed to start my own journey about how I was going to do that. And I needed the freedom to be able to use my intuition. And as I said, my nose and follow a path, which nobody had taught me. And so I knew that in an institution, I just, could never do that. Besides the fact that I had young children, I didn't want to work 40 hours a week. I wanted to go to my kid's soccer game. You know, I didn't want to work at night. I wanted to be home for dinner. And so all these rules with my personality were not a good match. <laughs> and so I have said many, many, many times, I am totally unemployable. I, I love to collaborate. 
I love to work with people, people that I respect. I, I don't do well with people that I don't, who are above me authoritatively, who I don't, it, you know, I don't respect. I don't, I don't trust their opinions. I don't. Um, so I've always had a lot of confidence in sort of just, people would ask me all the time, like, how do you know that? I have no idea how I know it. I just know it. A lot of things I don't know, you know, a lot of things in your field that you know that I don't know, but when it comes to people and human nature and uh, so I'm a, I've been a voracious learner, like I want to be really good at that. I, I want to be able to really help you. I want you to walk away and say, wow, this woman changed my life. So I had to do that myself first. <laughs> How do I do that? And so for every situation that I've been in over these last you know, years of my life, you know, tragedies, losing my parents in a car accident, breast cancer, many, many, you know, raising three kids, divorce, I mean, you name it, I've done it. And so as I go through something, I'm always going through it for myself, my experience, but I'm also witnessing what I'm feeling and what's happening to me. So I've always been a student of the experience. And then once I get through the experience, I get to the other side of it, now I can teach it. I can't, I can't teach it while I'm in it. Exactly. And, and you've, you've had not only life experiences, which have, have made you better at your craft, you've, you've, you've continued to learn, you've continued to, to do things to, to make yourself better, to enhance the delivery yeah. option that you have. But you've also had something that's very different from many people in, in the medical field in general. Most people hang out a shingle and they're there for, you know, the, the family doctor who's there for 40 years yeah. and the grandparents and children and grandchildren all go to their, their GP. And, but you've had to reinvent your business multiple yes. times, yes. not because the business wasn't successful, That's right. but because you moved, you moved that location. Moved. And I moved because I always wanted something better. You know, I would get to a place, and that's how I made my first really big, no, I, every single one of them has the same kind of piece to it. I recognize that if I don't change, I will go to my grave like that. And that was enough impetus to go through incredible chaos and relocating, moving my family, getting divorced. I mean, all these big life changes because I've always had a dream, you know, I've always had a dream that there is something better that I want to achieve. And it's just uh, an evolution. You know, somebody was, <laughs> I just, um, I'm just remarried. I've been married for the last seven years. And my brother said, Oh, no seven year itch. You know, <laughs> I said, no, this is maybe the first time, you know, <laughs> I haven't been ready to take on the next event. I'll give you a really great example of how this, and again, I didn't make this up, but I've had some amazing, amazing teachers. So if you think of yourself as a dot, okay, okay. you're a circle, you're a dot, and everything that you have ever done is in this dot hood, right? At some point, okay, the dot gets a little cramped and tight and boring, so to speak, really, and say, oh, well, I, I, you know, I've really done this. I'm going to go outside that dot. 
but I go outside and wow, I have no shape. I have no form. I better go back and be a dot again. So I go back again, you know, but now I'm just really uncomfortable. So I, I keep venturing out. And if I keep venturing out and I create more dots, all of a sudden now I'm a square with the dot in between. So I've never given up who I am, but now I've got a whole new arena to explore. And then after a while that square becomes, oh, you know, I'm bored. I already know this. I want, I want to learn something new. I want to meet new people. I want new experiences. So I venture out again. And now I'm a triangle, you know. So it's a process of discover, explore, and mature. And at any one time we can find ourselves, like, where are we? Right? Yep. No. So as I keep venturing out and the, and, the, and the arena gets bigger, the stage gets bigger, the, you know, you know, the risk gets bigger. Um, it's exciting. It's due. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. We're talking with Tina Greenbaum on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Go to masteryunderpressure.net. She's got information. She's got her book. She's got her quiz. And before we sort of dig back into where, what people can begin to do themselves and where you can really support them, what they should be thinking about, I want to talk a little bit more about just the, the dot and then the square and then the triangle and you keep expanding, you're going to different cities. But you've had to, um, and now it's probably a little bit different because we're in, a, we're in a more virtual world, but you were in a probably a face-to-face -face world before. So you had to go find a new client base. You had a different market, That's um, right. different personalities, different cultures. But I'm assuming each time, I'm gonna use air quotes easier to build it because of what you knew before. That's How true. did those learnings continue to build on each other? And now you're at version six or 6.0 right. of your <laughs> business. How did it get easier and what were you able, both good and bad, to learn from that allowed you to build it faster, stronger, and now you're expanding in a different way by broadening out and working with other therapists and the like uh, yes. so they can learn your model and, and begin to help more people in the same way you do. How, talk to us a little about the learnings along that path. Okay, so the first thing that I did, when, when I built my first practice, it was relatively easy because I moved from the hospital where I had worked initially, and then I worked in somebody else's clinic, and I gained a lot of clients there, and then I opened up my own shingle. Once I had seven hours of my own, then I could let go of the place that I was working at. So that was the beginning for me. And then I, 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 I think the best advice is I found the things that worked for me, you know, in terms of marketing. So I'm a people person. And, and I'm a networker and I'm a connector. And so I, and I love to speak and give workshops and teach. So I learned pretty early on that when I moved into a new, so I moved from Washington DC to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. You talk about a different culture, completely different. Didn't know a soul, but I knew how to network. I had, st I had left a, th a thriving practice. Actually, I hadn't even left it. I, was traveling every single week from New Hampshire to Washington DC in order to work for two days, make enough money so that I could support my, my kids and my family. And then I flew back to New Hampshire and I did all this networking. So then I started thinking, okay, so who are the people that would typically refer 
to somebody like me. So I had a specialty. Eating disorders was my specialty, but also from a mind-body approach. So if you were somebody that were interested in spirituality or yoga or alternative healthcare, I would be the therapist that you would want to know because I understood that language. I had already okay. pulled out a niche for myself. And so I would connect with, okay, so who refers to people like me? Well, acupuncturists, chiropractors, um, functional medicine doctors, psychiatrists that are open-minded. And so I went around and I just connected with all of these auxiliary or as we call now JV partner kind of people. And then they would send me people. And once they sent me people and they went back to their, that particular doctor and said, oh, Tina was great. You gotta, you know, we loved her. The next person that would come in that we needed a therapist, call Tina, call Tina, call Tina. So they filled my practice. And then, so that was one level. I always think of it as two levels. And then I had my clients and that built much more slowly because just as we started out saying, I, I got this great therapist, you got to call Tina. You know, it's like, I don't need any therapy. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but it still worked. So it worked more slowly. So I understood how my business worked. And then, so I moved from New Hampshire and then I moved back to Long Island. And didn't, again, I thought my husband's family, they lived there, I thought they were gonna refer people, nobody referred anybody. I did it all again by myself. And I found other therapists also that would, did the kind of work that I did. So we became sort of co, you know, co-people. If I were full, I would refer to them. If they were full, they would refer to me. So I always built a network that was very, very tight. And I also only refer people to people that I would either use myself or send a family member to. So people love my referrals. They still do. I make great, great, great referrals. Okay, because I have, you know, I can see a match, you know. Yeah. As you and I would say in Yiddish, it's a shidduch. I can make it. <laughs> I can make a. I'm a good matchmaker that way. Yeah. And so, so I've always been giving. You know, if I know somebody that that would be good for you, I'll refer. I, I don't ever worry about. And this is where people get. A lot of people get really stuck. There's no shortage of people that need help. And so I never was like, oh my god, I can't refer anybody to that person because that you know. No, if you're a better fit, I'm going to refer you because there's no shortage. You know, there's no shortage of people that need business help. There's no shortage of people that need emotional support. There's, and so it's the same thing with money. There's no shortage of money. And so, again, when it comes back to the mindset of really using the mindset of spiritual principles, you know, the principle of giving and receiving, these things work. They do, and you've made and you've made them work multiple times. I want to come back to what you just mentioned about uh, referral partners, joint venture partners, whatever whatever we're going to call them. Many people understand the concept mm -hmm. and fail brilliantly at the implementation. Um, and it could be leading with, "Hey, can you refer me somebody?" rather than really understanding how did you can and continue to build your model um, other than, than just having a good feel for people because of your training and because of your background. 
how did how do you go about finding the right people? How do you go about building that um, camaraderie where people will refer? Because a lot of people ask and never get a referral because right. they do it wrong. What, what did I you make? A, I make a lot more referrals than I get. I mean, I'll just tell you that straight out. I just do, yeah. but it doesn't stop me. <laughs> it doesn't stop me because I understand implicitly that I just by the by the law of probability and 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 you know there's a certain point a tipping point where people hear my name enough times and this has happened to me several times and it just happened to me not too very long ago where somebody said I've I've heard your name from three different people I knew I needed to call you so I don't really worry about if it's going to come back and um, go back to and tell me again, what was that? You asked me something very specific. I lost my train of thought for a sec. Um, just, just getting people oh. to, to want to refer to you. A lot of people ask, but they don't, they don't position it right. They're very, um, so, so what I look for, what I look for is who is synergistic with my business. Who would typically need somebody for, to fill a spot that they don't have? Now, again, this peak performance is really what I'm working on right now. This is my, this is my, my niche because there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> and it's a much more wellness oriented, you know, you're already great. Wouldn't you want to be greater? So people are more receptive to it, right? So I, in terms of the branding and the marketing and how I've positioned it, so that people want what I have to offer, number one. And number two, I have an idea, and I think it's a pretty sound idea. It has not happened yet. No, it's just starting to happen. So if you were a business um, strategist or a business leader, taught leadership in companies, yep. let's say, right? And you did team building or you walk, you know, you work with different personalities and your personality works with this personality. And, and so you go in and, and you're, but you don't teach what I teach. You don't teach these peak performance skills. You might, you know, appreciate and work around them, but you don't specifically go in and train a team on these skills. So I would be a good person, a good synergistic partner for that person who is looking for somebody to build up the tolerance for stress in an organization where you had a whole team that was operating on the same level because they all had the same language now. Yep. Right. It makes sense to me that I would be a good referral partner. The same way that I would be, maybe somebody would hire me and then I would say, well, I don't do the team building, but you need team building. You know, and I've got a great person to help you do that. No, I, pre I love that. I appreciate it. Thanks for sort of talking through that with me because it's something that uh, a lot of people just need. They don't, they don't know how to do it. They don't know where to go. They don't even know where to get started. So you gave a really concrete plan that people can learn from. So as, as we wrap up, I want to circle it back to really the, 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 the mental side of entrepreneurship. And you talked about negative self-talk. You talked about fear. You talked about depression. You talked about just withdrawing a little bit, but mm -hmm. there's a whole separate side. I was about to say whole nother, and that's not even a thing. <laughs> there's a separate side of, of the mental health, which is almost addiction to success. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and, and you get these high performers that they're hard charging because they're addicted to the yes, they're addicted to the sale. Or if they're in the finance industry, they're addicted to the, the making money or the market going up. Mm -hmm. And rather than they're, they're always focused on that high and it's almost just as bad. Mm -hmm. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just people should look at themselves and think, Oh, I'm beating myself up. Some people overpraise themselves for the good and maybe it doesn't make them great people. Right. How do people deal with that or identify that in themselves? Well, I think it's overall, if we look at all the pieces and, and everybody has to define success for themselves, what that looks like and what that feels like. I always come back to the feeling <laughs> because we could have a lot of money in the bank. You know, I've had many, many, many clients over the years, very, very high powered people that end up in, in affairs because their relationships are terrible. Their children aren't talking to them because they're not, they're not around. Um, you know, the, the life of all the different pieces may not be working really well. Yep. And, you know, I have a new client that I just started working with and, and he said, um, I, I'm good. I'm good. It's not like I haven't done any personal work, but I just don't feel fulfilled. I just, you know, and when we get to a certain age, usually around 40, you know, for, you know, heading towards that midlife crisis, what does that mean? It means that I might have been very successful financially, and yet my life feels empty. And this is, you know, again, coming back to um, the Kabbalah, Jewish mystical thought. It, it used to be that they wouldn't teach it to anybody that was under 40. Forget the fact that it was only men, but they wouldn't teach it to anybody that was only under 40 because they hadn't lived long enough to get to that place to really understand what this journey and the next level of their journey is. And what I love about the Kabbalah, just in terms of the, the philosophy of it, is that we come into this world perfect. You know, we're just God's children. We're just come, come in perfect. And then as we kind of get enculturated and indoctrinated and we lose a lot of those godlike parts and they become what they call hidden. We don't, we can't see them. And so the path of personal growth enlightenment is shining the light on those dark places that have been hidden so that we become fuller, you know, in our relationships and our connection to people, to our physical and emotional and health and all these wonderful things until we reach a point where we feel enlightened. Now again, you know, great enlightened beings are, are not very common, but we have enough that we, we get to see the big picture, but the job doesn't stop there because then we're supposed to come back and give back with all the wisdom and everything that we've learned. And, and that's the journey really. And so where people are on that journey and how much they're willing to do the introspection, I have found that with this period of coronavirus, one of the reasons I've gotten so busy is because people are really taking a look. You know, the running and the, and the craziness, you know, a lot of it has, has had to stop. And it's like, wow, you know, what is my next step? Or how am I going to reinvent myself? Or I've been doing this job for so many years, I am so not happy. So where it hits and when it hits, 
I can't predict that, you know, and then people do not have to go down to rock bottom in order to, to go back up. They just have to stop and take a look. How's my life going? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that. It's a great way to wrap up that the, as uh, Tina and I are in a community together and the permission to push pause is one of the, one of the things that we've talked about in the, uh, whether it's the gods or whether it's just the um, something overseeing said, all right, world, time yeah. to take a pause. Yes. And on my side, I, I'm, I'm like you, I've got a lot of people calling me all the time being like, Adam, I need to take a look at my business. I need to think about this differently whether it's because they're overwhelmed because they're so busy like us or whether they're struggling because coronavirus mm -hmm. hit their business and slowed it down. This has created an opportunity yes. to, yes. to take some time and it's doing the same on the mental side. So I think it's, I think it's yeah. fantastic what you're doing and, and how you help people think about themselves differently, which allows their life to flourish and thereby their business to flourish. Yeah, there was a wonderful statement that, um, Mark Victor Hansen's wife, Crystal Hansen, I don't know if you were on that call, but she made a statement that said, your life is created from the inside. And I just love that, you know, it is created from the inside. So we can create all kinds of things, but it's not always because so-and-so likes us and so-and-so wants us to do this. And I think I should, or I have to do this. And so, it's, it's a beautiful, wonderful journey to get to know yourself at a very deep level. I think what could be more interesting than you? <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. That's awesome. Thank you, Tina, for being Thanks. here. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Adam. You're welcome. And thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business, at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.